Thus Spake Zarathustra, Book 1, Part 3, On the Joy and Suffering of the Passions. My brother, if you have a virtue, it is your virtue. Then you share her with no one else. Naturally, you want to call her by name and caress her. You want to squeeze her ear and amuse yourself with her. And look, now you share her name with the people, and you've become a member of a herd with the people and their virtue. Better for you to say, she is inexpressible and nameless, that which torments and sweetens my soul, and is even the hunger of my stomach. May your virtue be too lofty for the familiarity of names, and if you speak of her, don't be ashamed to stammer of her. So speak and stammer, this is my good, this I love, this pleases me completely, this is exactly how it will be the good to be. I do not will as a law of God. I do not will it as a human law and a force. For me, it is no signpost for the otherworldly or the heavenly. It is an earthly virtue that I love. Little cleverness is in it, and even less of the common sense of all. But this bird has built this nest with me. Therefore, I love and cherish her, and now she sits here close to me on her golden eggs. Thus you stammer and praise your virtue. Once you suffered a passion and labeled it evil, but now you have nothing but virtues. These have grown out of your passions. You set your highest goal in the heart of these passions. Then these become your virtues and sources of joy. And whether you are from the tribe of the violent or the lustful or fanatical or a seeker of vengeance in the end, all of your passions have turned into virtues and devils to angels. Once you had wild dogs in your cellars, in the end they transformed themselves into birds and lovely singers. Out of your poison you brewed your own tonic. You milked the cow of your own sorrows, and now you drink sweet milk from their udders. And no longer does evil grow from you, excepting only the evil that grows from the conflict of your virtues. My brother, if you are fortunate, you will have one virtue and not more. Thus you will cross the bridge more lightly. It is distinguished to have many virtues, but also a difficult lot. Many went into the desert and killed themselves, exhausted by being the battle and battlefield of virtues. My brother, are war and battle evil? But this evil is necessary. Necessary are the envy and mistrust and bitterness amongst your virtues. Behold, each of your virtues desires to be the highest. Each wants you to divine the spirit for her herald. She wants your entire strength, wrath, hate, and love. Each virtue is jealous of all the others, and jealousy is a terrible thing. Virtue, too, can perish through jealousy. Whomever is surrounded by the flames of jealousy, jealousy will at last, like the scorpion, turn the poisonous sting on oneself. Alas, my brother, have you never seen a virtue slander and stab herself? Man is something that must be overcome, and therefore you shall love your virtues, for they will ultimately be your undoing. Thus spake Zarathustra. On the Pale Criminal you will not kill, O judges and sacrificers, until the beast has nodded. Behold, the pale criminal has nodded. From out of his eye speaks the great despising. My eye is something that will be overcome. My eye is the great despising of man. So speaks his eye. That he sentenced himself was his greatest moment. Let not the sublime man return to what is base in him. There is no redemption for him who suffers so much for himself unless it be a quick death. Your killing, you judges, shall be from compassion, not revenge, and in your killing see to it yourselves are affirming life. It is not enough that you reconciled with one that you kill. Let your sorrow be love for the overman, 
so you justify your living on. Enemy, you shall say, but not evildoer. Sick man, you shall say, but not scoundrel. Fool, you shall say, but not sinner. And you, red judge, if you were to cry out loud all that you have already done in your thoughts, everyone would cry out, away with this scum and poisonous worm. But one is the thought, another thing is the act, and another thing is the image of the act. The wheel of cause does not roll between them. An image made the pale criminal pale, equal to the image of his act when he did the act, but he could not bear the image after he had done it. Even after he, ever after he saw himself only as the doer of one deed, senseless I call this, the exception has become for him the essence. The chalk line halts the hen, so the deed he did impoverished his reason, madness after the act I call this. Listen, you judges, there is still another madness that lies before the act. Ah, you have not crawled deeply enough into the soul. The red judge says, but why did this thief murder? He wanted to steal. But I say to you, his soul wanted blood, not loot. He desired the joy of the knife. His poor reason was unable to understand this madness, and it won him over. What does blood matter, it asked. Don't you at least want to steal something, to take revenge? And he listened to this poor reason. Its speech lay upon him like lead. He did not want to be ashamed of his madness. And now the lead of his guilt weighs heavy upon him. And again, his poor reason is so stiff, so paralyzed, so heavy. If only he could shake his head, this burden would fall off. But who can shake this head? What is this man? A collection of diseases which reach out to the world through his spirit? There they want to catch their prey. What is this man? A ball of wild snakes which rarely enjoy a respite from each other? So they go forth and seek prey in the world. Behold this poor body, this poor soul, inter interpreted what it suffered and it desired for itself. It thought it a murderous lust and greed for joy, the joy of the knife. Those who become sick are overcome by that evil which is evil today. They want to hurt that which hurts them. But there have been other ages and other evils and other goods. Once doubt and the will to self were evil. Then the sick became heretics and witches. As heretics or witches they suffered and wanted to inflict evil sufferings. But your ears do not want to hear this. It harms your good people, you say to me. But what do your good people matter to me? Much about your good people sickens me, and truly it is not their evil. Indeed, I wish they had a madness from which they might perish like the pale criminal. Truly, I wish their madness were called truth or loyalty or justice. But they have their virtue in order to live long in appalling contentment. I am railing by the torrent that those who can understand me. However, I am not your crutch. Thus spake Zarathustra. On Reading and Writing Of all that is written, I only love that which has been written with one's own blood. Write with blood, and you will find that blood is spirit. It is not easy to understand the blood of another. I hate lazy readers. Whoever knows the reader will do nothing more for the reader. Another hundred years of readers and the spirit itself will stink. In the long run, everyone learns to read corrupts not only writing but also thinking. Once the spirit was God, then it was man, now may even become the mob. Whomever writes in blood and aphorisms would not be read, rather learnt by heart. In the mountains, the shortest way is from peak to peak, but for that one must have long legs. Aphorisms should be peaks, and those to whom they speak would speak tall and noble. The air thin and pure, danger is near, and the spirit filled with joyous wit. All this goes well together. I want to have goblins with me since I am courageous. 
Courage that frightens ghosts and creates goblins for itself. Courage wants to laugh. I no longer feel as you. These clouds that I see below me, dark and heavy, about which I laugh, precisely these are your thunderclouds. You look up if you want to be uplifted. I look down because I am uplifted. Who amongst you can laugh and be uplifted at the same time? Whomever climbs the highest mountain laughs over all the false drama and mock tragedy. Courageous, untroubled, mocking, and violent, so wisdom wants us. She is a woman and always loves only a warrior. You say to me, life is difficult to bear. But why else would you have your pride in the morning and the rest in the evening? Life is hard to bear, but don't be so sensitive. We are all pretty sturdy asses and she asses. What do we have in common with rosebud that trembles if so, if so much of a drop of dew fall on its petal? It is true. We love life not because we are accustomed to living, but because we are accustomed to loving. There is always some madness in love, but there is also a bit of reason and madness. And to me, who am fond of life, it appears to me that butterflies and bubbles and those men who partake of their nature know the most of happiness. To see the light, foolish, animated little souls flutter about, this moves Zarathustra to tears and song. I will only ever believe in a God who knows how to dance. And when I saw my devil, I found him earnest, thorough, profound, and solemn. It is a spirit of heaviness through which all is destroyed. Not with wrath does one kill, but with laughter. Come, let us kill the spirit of heaviness. I have learned how to walk. Since then I have let myself run. I have learned to fly. Since then I would not be parted from the place before I am ready. Now I am light, now I am flying, now I see myself below me, now a god dances through me. Thus spake Zarathustra. On the Tree on the Mountain Zarathustra's eyes had seen that a young man was avoiding him, and as he walked alone one evening through the mountains around the town called the Motley Cow, behold, on his walk he found the youth who sat leaning against a tree and sadly looked down into the valley. Zarathustra gripped the tree beneath which the youth sat and spoke thus. If I wanted to shake this tree with my hand, I would not be able to. But the wind, which we see not, shakes and bend it to its will. It is by invisible hands that we are most tortured and bent. Then the bewildered youth rose and said, I hear Zarathustra, and just now I was thinking of him. Zarathustra answered, Why does this frighten you? It is with men as with trees. The more man strives towards the height and light, even more strongly his roots strive earthward into the dark, the deep, and evil. Yes, into evil, cried the youth. How is it possible that you have uncovered my soul? Zarathustra smiled and said, Some souls one will never uncover unless one first invents them. Yes, into evil, cried the youth again. You have spoken the truth, Zarathustra. I no longer trust myself since I have striven for the heights, and others no longer trust me. How does this happen? I transform myself too quickly. My today belies my yesterday. I often skip a step when I climb, that no step forgives me. When I get to the top, I always find myself alone. No one speaks to me. The frost and the solitude make me shiver. What do I want with heights? My despising and my yearning increase with each other. The higher I climb, the more I despise the climber. What does he want in the heights? How ashamed I am of climbing and stumbling. How I mock my violent breathing. How I hate the one who flies. How weary I am of the heights. Here the youth quieted, and Zarathustra contemplated the tree by which they were standing and spoke thus. This tree stands alone here on the mountain, and it grows tall beyond man and beast. And if it wanted to talk, it is so lofty it would have no one who understood it. Now it is waiting and waiting. Wherefore does it wait? 
It lives too near the Battle of the Clouds. It is waits, perhaps, for the first lightning? When Zarathustra had said this, the youth cried out with wild gestures, Yes, Zarathustra, you speak the truth. I sought my own going under when I sought the heights, and you are the lightning for which I was waiting. See, who am I now, that you have appeared amongst us? It is envy of you that has destroyed me. So spoke the youth and wept bitterly. However, Zarathustra put his arm around him and led him away. And when they had gone together for a while, Zarathustra began to speak thus. It tears my, it tears my heart out, better than your words. Your eyes speak of me of your troubles. You are not yet free. You still seek freedom. The search has made you overtired and too wakeful. You desire the free heights. Your soul thirsts for the stars, but also your wicked drives seek for their freedom. Your wild dogs want their freedom. They bark with desire in your cellar as your spirit seeks to break out of all prisons. To me, you are still a prisoner who plans his freedom. One's soul becomes clever in such prisons, but also deceitful and base. Still, the liberated must be purified. Much of the prison mustiness still cling to him. His eyes must still become pure. Yes, I know your peril, but by love and hope I beseech you do not throw away your loves and hope. You still feel yourself noble, and even those who oppose you and give you the evil eye feel your nobility. Know that a noble man stands in everyone's way. The noble man even stands in the way of the good, and even if they call you a good man, still they would push you aside. The noble man created the new and a new virtue. The good man wants the old and to preserve the old. But this is not a danger of the noble man, to become good, but rather insolent, scornful, a destroyer. I have known noble men who have lost their highest hope and then slandered all highest hopes. Then they lived basely with little pleasures, and they had no goals beyond that day. Spirit is also lust, so they said, and they broke the wings of their spirit. Now it crawls around and defiles what it gnaws. Once they thought to become heroes, lechers they are now. The hero is a grief and a horror to them. By my love and hope I beseech you, do not throw away the hero in your soul. Keep your highest hope holy. Thus spake Zarathustra.